What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund. I'm going to take it now. <sighs> Actually, I breathed out deeply. Maybe I should do that inward, too. <laughs> wow. Today, you're about to find out why I'm called a uh, shock jock evangelist. I didn't give myself that. I took it as a compliment because when I grew up dreaming about being a talk show host, uh, you know, Opie and Anthony, Howard Stern, Don Imus, Oprah, I was a fan of talk shows and I was a fan of shock jocks. I just never thought that I would be a shock of Jesus. But nonetheless, here we are. And the one that we pride ourselves here at the Live Mana Network, and you can find, dadgum, it's that one, right? That barcode there. You can find information about our ministry, our nonprofit media organization, our broadcast network, the links to all of our networks. And also, if you want to sew into what we're doing, you can do that there too. But one of the things that when we set out with this journey and this mission that we felt God was leading us on was to redefine church. And part of redefining the church is making room for the people that aren't usually welcome in the church. And I know they say it's a hospital of sinners, but from my experience, well, they want you in there. And then as soon as you, you know, you join, people forget about you. Or the minute you decide that you want to go try another church, all those people that pretended to be your friends are no longer your friends. That's been my experience. I can't say it's your experience, but it's been mine. And so instead of kicking and screaming and wanting to go tear down the walls of all the physical church buildings in the world, we decided that we were going to redefine church. Because I believe that God has a purpose for everybody and God uses everybody where they're at. And I've seen, you know, look, this makes people uncomfortable when I say this, but this is also true. The devil doesn't do anything that God doesn't give him permission to do. In fact, the devil and God work together. So the evil that happens in your life, the, the, the problems, the struggles, all of these things, we blame the devil a lot. But not the, the the fact is that he's in partnership with God. And what does that matter? I think our relationship with evil, our relationship with things that we claim are evil, and I believe that our just a relationship with God in, in general has been a little bit distorted. And, and religion has made people freaking crazy. It's just made them crazy. And again, I'm not the religious type. I just love Jesus. But as you know, one of the things that we do here on this on this broadcast and my other broadcast is that we do things a little bit a little bit different. Instead of just closing off the walls and saying you can only speak here if you're a believer, we open the platform to all beliefs. Why? Because frankly, I believe if any religious person or any believer, any Christian, any Muslim, any atheist, any Buddhist, any Hindu, any of that, I think if they were being honest, they would look they, they would say that they don't fully understand everything. They don't, they have more questions than answers. In fact, they, they, they love, they may love their religion and their God, but they're peeking over at other people's religions going, Hmm, I kind of like that. Or ah, that really offends me. One of the things that I've noticed, and one of the things that I'm more, the most proud of on these broadcasts is that <clears throat> I with everything in me, I'm authentic about my struggles, where I'm at, and beyond. I've shared openly that is I battled my sexuality for years. I was a 20-year chemsex addict. Um, I've done about everything under the sun when it comes to sex and debauchery and evil and, again, chemsex and black 
black magic sex crap. Just like, I mean, I dabbled in all of it because I was broken. And when I gave my life to the Lord, I didn't just immediately give up these passions, these desires. And, and frankly, the confusion didn't even really go away. In fact, as I've said before, I wasn't even 100% that God loved me 100% because I was still feeling guilt and still feeling shame because I still had these desires. Were these desires because I programmed myself and I just got used to a, how do you say it, a more risque sexual lifestyle? I don't know. Maybe I trained my brain one way. I will tell you that as my relationship with the Lord has grown, my impulses have, uh, I've been able to control them much better. In fact, I've had more maturity in this area. But that said, I would be lying to you if I told you that I didn't still have some of the same sexual desires that I have. Again, it just doesn't control me. Now, this has been quite the journey, but one thing I want to say is the reason why we talk about subjects that we've had drag queens on, we've had people that, we've had gay pastors, we've had people from all walks of life here. We've had Muslims here, and, and we will continue to open our doors to anybody, but because we want to have conversations that other people won't have so that we can have a better understanding. Anything that we talk about on this show or any guests that we have on does not necessarily mean that we flat out 100% agree with everything they say, but what I have learned is that there's a lot more commonality than most people would want to admit when we talk to people with different belief systems. One of the things that I think is a problem in the church is that we have a lot of people living in the closet. We have a lot of people in the closet with shame. We have a lot of people with in the closet with guilt. We have a lot of people that are cheating on their spouses with somebody of the same sex. We have other people that have strange fetishes. Fet they Not strange. It's not even strange. Let's not even say it's strange. I'm, I, I don't want to say that because that's not fair. Because believe me, I got some weird stuff. <laughs> but we have, sorry, <laughs> this conversation is going to be so fascinating. Anyway, but I know that there's a lot of oppressed people in the church. Because once they gave their life to the Lord, they didn't have, you know, the things that they thought were going to go away didn't go away. And they still have their curiosity. They still have their fetishes. And, and what that happens is, because they try to suppress it so much, they end up doing it worse than they were going to do before. And so we have these preachers and we have people, deacons and we have these men and women of God that are sneaking around on sex apps and other things because they don't know how to deal with their sexual appetite or what they're desiring. And instead, what they hear from the pulpit is, you're going to hell. Sex is wrong. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. Same sex is wrong. You're going to hell. All the things, and you know them. And I know what the Bible says about a lot of this stuff. I do. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to have the conversations. Especially when I'm not a saint myself. So these conversations get to happen because the church won't have them. And dadgummit, to me, it's their responsibility to have them, especially when there's pastors that are leading double lives because they can't control their sexual appetite. There's a reason for it. There's always a reason. There's an underlying reason for it. So today we have, I, I fell in love with this guy like immediately. His email to me when we got introduced, when he was, you know, talking about coming on the show immediately 
I just, I knew that we had to do this. And I don't even know how. His name, or he's known in the SM community as Master Joshua. But his name is Joshua Rodriguez. And he has something to say. And I think, and I believe, <laughs> regardless of what most of the Christian community will say, I believe this conversation is going to bring healing for a lot of people. And it may not even come in the form of you agreeing. Because what happens is when we get into our religions, we get put in a box. And then when we're put in that box, it gets really hard to see the bigger picture or even getting to the root of why. Today, I pray that we're able to do that. And we'll do that right after this. I love no longer broadcasting on social media because I can play as much music as I want on our network, the Live Mana Network. Thank you for being here. Okay, listen, my intention is to never trigger anybody on purpose, but I want to say this. 
when we are triggered, to me, this means, this is God showing us what we get to heal. So I pray that this is a healing conversation. In no means am I, like, you know this by now, those of you who watch, like, the last thing I ever want to be is blasphemous. But at the same time, I want to be honest. And I want to have honest and real conversations. And I want to understand. So I pray that this broadcast brings healing, but also maybe break some people out of their rusty cage. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my new friend, Joshua Rodriguez. What's up, Joshua? Thank you so much for having me on uh, your show. I'm really excited for today's conversation. I'm grateful you reached out. And um, I, I, I got to be honest with you. At first, I was like, well, how am I going to do this one? So I, 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 it's, it's funny cause I can tie in all, you know, I've done some really wild conversations and I can normally justify it. And this time I didn't have a justification for it, but I, when I was praying about it, I really felt like God was like, yeah, we're going to have this conversation. So man, I'm grateful you're here. I'm grateful that you're willing to have this conversation, especially knowing where I stand and what I'm about. Uh, but first things first, Joshua, what are you grateful for today and why? So I have a partner who asked me, uh, when was the, lab, the best year that you've had? And I said the last 364 days, right? Because what I'm noticing is the more strides I take to living a life of integrity and communicating what I need in my life, the more fulfillment that I get, right? And if I prohibit myself from that, I'm not going to have growth and I'm not going to achieve what I'm aiming for. So it's like, I'm grateful for my voice. I'm grateful for my support. I'm grateful for the folks who love me. I'm grateful for opportunities like this to, to uh, perhaps be a voice for someone who's been lost in the fog a little bit. I'm grateful for a lot. Every day I'm grateful for a lot. I love that. And I don't even know where to start with this. Um, I guess, you know what? Actually, I do. I, I kind of do know. And so bear with me just a second as I struggle through this first part. I know why I'm into the things I am sexually. I, I can go back to the exact moments in my life. And of course, I'm sure there was some generational stuff that was passed on too. I know why. I went out and tried to recreate my molestation and, and rape experiences. I know why, how I, the pain, yet pleasure while feeling the pain, how it tricked my mind into being very confused. Like this hurt, but it felt good too. I was scared, but it felt good too. And, and that's kind of a mind F, pardon the term, uh, audience. But it is. It's it's very when you're experiencing pain and pleasure at the same time, it does something to you chemically that can change you forever. In my case, it started at seven years old and I went off on a wild pursuit, like especially when I discovered drugs, because at first it was nightmares, but it was confusing these nightmares I was having because I'm having dreams of what happened. And as I'm dreaming about it, they feel like nightmares. But again, I'm still feeling the pleasure part. And when I discovered drugs, of course, well, the nightmares all became fantasies really, really quick and then immediately was hooked on chemsex and did that for over 20, almost 20 years. 
The one part that I've never really got into, and I shared this with you at the beginning, is that I didn't really understand SNM. I, I mean, believe me, I was a bit of a masochist and I was a bit of a sadist. But the actual, the art of SNM, the, the the discipline of it, the whatever it is, and I don't know how to properly label it. It's something, an avenue I never went down because the pain I wanted to experience, I wanted to be self-inflicted pain. And the pain that I put out, I wanted to hurt people with. And that is not what SNM is about. So let's now rewind and get into how did you fall into this lifestyle, this this way of thinking. And then on top of that, you turned it into a spiritual practice. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thank you so much for the question and for the clarity, right? Because uh, a lot of people just think it happens, right? Or trauma happens and this is a result of. And, and uh, what you had mentioned about sadism and masochism, about wanting to inflict and receive pain, that's emotionally driven, right? That's trauma driven. It's, it's a much different approach uh, and it can be a harmful approach to yeah. self and to the people you're connecting with, right? Because the intention behind it is ill, right? It comes from a negative space. So I'm going to go back to, uh, I grew up, I started having sex. I grew up in New York City. I started having sex at 12. Uh, generationally, right? To be a man matters uh, depending on how much sex you have, how many partners you bed, right? This, this defines masculinity for me back in the 80s and the 90s, right? Mm. So fast forward to until um, maybe the early 2000s uh, and sex addiction, like yourself, was a very, it was an outlet for me. It was stimulation and power, right? I can, I can uh, control these situations and really feed off of what I'm experiencing. But that ended up taking over and becoming the priority for me on how often and how much sex can I have because it's what feeds me, right? Uh, I came across BDSM with a partner officially, right? Meaning I'm, I sought it out because there's things that we do that can be under the fetish realm umbrella, right? We just don't know the names around it. I mean, you'd be surprised how much falls under it. I can sit with someone and get something out of them within five minutes to show them that they do desire something as well, right? It's, there's nothing wrong with the desire but it's how we approach it, how we, how we seek it out, right? So in my 20s, I found BDSM. And what I realized is it showed me my value in the connections that I have, right? My responsibility in the relationships that I'm building. Because if I have someone that's willing to provide me the space without judgment, without fear to be seen and heard, I have to respect that. I have to not take advantage of that right and it's it's a very empowering experience to say you see me and you hear me and i'm okay and i'm not broken right so in that process i learned what self-value is and not self-value in the sense of oh you're not worth anything but self-value in the sense of wow you're really powerful because you care right? and it's really simple if you could just hold attention for someone if you could just give someone your undivided attention without judgment to help them feel seen and heard you're validating their experience you're affirming their existence as a human being right because how many people walk around this world feeling invisible feeling like i can't connect to anyone because no one understands me 
That's the majority of people, right? We ended up conforming so that we can fit in. When in actuality, we're all very much the same. We just look different. We just have different experiences, but we still have the same feelings, right? So fast forward, I'm in my journey of identity for a period of time. And I came across this gentleman who had seen that I had the skill set to control the situation. And he had asked me if I, if he could hire me to treat him a certain way. And his desire was to be treated like a dog, right? Like uh, a house dog slash a, a junkyard dog, right? Because in his profession, he had a lot of power and he had a lot of, of anger and he wanted to be on the other side of that spectrum to to close his mind so that he can just be present and experience and experience these experience these feelings going through his body as it's happening right it's not necessarily what i'm doing to the person it's what the person is experiencing from what i'm doing to them right so at the end of it you could see he was elated he was happy he was relieved uh of tension and there was no sexual engagement i stayed dressed bdsm isn't about sex bdsm is about trust and respect right the trust that i'm going to tell you how i feel and you're not going to judge me and the respect that you're not going to overstep my boundaries right so it's like i trust you to drive the car i know you're going to drive the car responsibly with me in it right so it's a very similar formula very similar exchange uh now that's how I approach it. Not many folks approach it that way. And the reason why I approach it is because there's healing that comes through holding space for people. And by holding space, I mean giving someone my undivided attention without judgment so that they can feel seen and heard without feeling judged. Once you can experience that to feel whole and not broken, it's very hard to close that door back. And it's a very fulfilling feeling. Right to say the mistakes you've made in your life and the things that you've had happen don't define your life. What they do is they give you part of your story, right? Just like these desires and and curiosities that we have, a lot of people will walk life without even opening that door. And it's OK because of fear and judgment and stuff. And the minute that you do approach that door, that takes a lot of courage to say, aside from politics, religion, culture, gender, race. Aside from all of that, I'm a whole person, an individual person who is part of a village that's humanity, right? But we have to come back to that root of who are you and what does, what is your existence for? Wow. And how does, BD, how does BDSM answer that question, what are, is our existence for? So... <clears throat> The process of self-actualization, essentially the process of telling someone who you are, this person accepting you as you are, is a form of therapy, right? One of my goals is to legitimize professional domination as a form of therapy, meaning the space that I'm going to hold for someone is going to be a healing element in itself because they're able to speak their truth without judgment. Now, what comes next are physical interactions or whatever... Uh, modalities we use, those are to help the person walk the desire for the experience, right? So you have to get over the shame of wanting to be spanked, 
right? Essentially, it's just energy exchange. It's just being touched and an emotion being pulled out of our body for the desire of experiencing vulnerability, safety, uh, smallness, right? Because who gets spanked? Children, right? Generally, in theory, right? Right. That experience brings back feelings to the person who's receiving back when they were being disciplined for some. For some, as adults, it's it's feeling affection and closeness, right? So it's not necessarily what you're seeing. It's what the person's feeling as they're going through that process. So you get the relief and the validation of having a desire that is achievable. You come out on the other side without being a victim or having victimized someone. You've consented to be here to go through the process. You walk out of it feeling taller, feeling whole, feeling a little more complete because you have accessed that part of yourself that's been shamed into the closet, so to speak. So the spiritual element from it is, what do I believe is happening for me? And does it align with my belief? What does God want for me? Right? Does God want you to have a life fulfilled of experiences and joy without causing harm to people? Right? That's what this is. It's not, you're not taking someone against their will, right? We're having open and honest communication, things that we're not taught how to do, right? We're indoctrinated into processes, but we're never given the space to actually think wow. as an individual. And that's what I do is I hold the space so that a person can be an individual aside from everything. There's a priest, a Catholic priest that I work with who's been a priest for 40 years. And after our first session, I had to walk him through his relationship with God. A guy who disregarded religion from my earliest years to my mid thirties, because it didn't align with my beliefs. So I sat there talking with him and I asked him, I said, well, what do you think God wants from me? And he said, he wants me to bring joy and light to folks and to live uh, peacefully. I said, well, what does that, what does that feel like? He says, I feel whole when I'm doing things that God wants me to do. And I go, how about the opposite when you're not doing what you're supposed to do? He goes, I feel less than. And I go, well, do you feel more than or less than? And we walk through our process of connection, of our, our conversations, of our negotiations, of, of the consent. And by the end of it, he had to realize that he's a man before he's a priest. Right. And that God put him on here as a as a, as a boy, not a priest. And what does God want from this human being? Right now, to, to talk the talk and to walk the walk is a whole different thing, right? But what's your message behind your gospel anyway, right? So a lot of reflection has to come into, am I walking the walk and talking the talk? Or am I just the representation of, right? So we have to ask, what do we believe? We have to ask, what do we, ex what do we believe our life, not purpose, because there's many purposes, right? But what are one of the reasons why we're here? For me, it's to experience the senses, touch, taste, smell, sight, sound, right? And also to navigate with everything else around me. Um, that's that's what I feel is my purpose is to is to live a life of peace and love 
and to create space so others can experience the same, at least when they're around me. Right? I can't control anything further. I, gosh, there is a lot to unpack there. Um, to me, when I think of what you just described, I'm, I'm picturing how people are mirrors for us. And like what we put out in the world is what we get back. But also, like one of the things that I did, and I mentioned this earlier, is that I hurt a lot of people. And when I turned my life around and I gave my life to the Lord and I started down this path and the path that, you know, he set me on. One of the things that even though I didn't act in the ways that I used to, I got to experience what I used to do coming back at me. And that hurts. I mean, yeah. it hurts emotionally. It can hurt physically sometimes. Pride and ego get hurt. But it's also a stern reminder of the power that we have to hurt other people. And so what it's done, and I just had this conversation with um, a friend of mine earlier today, and it, 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 is, it gave me a taste of my own medicine so that I knew that I didn't want to do that to other people anymore. So you're the CEOs and the, the people that are more militant that come in and that are strong personalities and they're dominating when they come into you for you to dominate them. Do you think that they're experiencing the same thing and in, in a way that it's humbling them so that they do treat people better? What, what I'm getting, <clears throat> what I'm getting is are folks who are looking to find that feeling they're missing inside. I've had high power folks come to me and stuff. And what ends up happening is they're looking for a release, like a, a valve release, right? To release some pressure so that they can keep moving. My intention is to change your whole perspective, right? I don't, my intent, I'm not here to scratch an itch, right? So, or to be fetishized or like I like to be, uh, I like to say a kink dispenser, right? When you walk through the door for me, <laughs> Right. When you walk through the door for me, we're going to have a level, <laughs> a level of equality. And I'm going to give space for you so that you can talk and share. And then I'm going to give you my perspective of where you're at and the direction you're going because of it. Right. Um, I just realized last week as I was talking to a recorder, I'm, I'm working on a book around the lessons that I've learned in my profession in life and the stories behind it. And in that, uh, I realized, and this is, this is just last week, I realized that all the problems in my life are my fault. In one way or another, I'm attached to them, right? I have a role to play, period. Um, I've hurt a lot of people, right? Unintentionally, intentionally, and karma's my governing power, right? Uh, that's my religion, that's my belief. <clears throat> and what I realize is, as you said, it comes back, right? And it, and it comes back, it's going to come back, right? There's, there's no way to circumvent that. So my answer to that was be a better person, right? Lead with what's right all the time, to the best of my ability. I'm a human being. I'm a human being like everyone else. I make mistakes. I have bad judgment sometimes, but I'm doing my best to not do that, to be cognizant of my choices, right? Because 
uh, I was doing an interview. I have multiple relationships I'm in and uh, they're all equally important to me and everyone has a role that they play in my heart and in my life. I have uh, one who uh, just wrote a book and the name of the book is called Surviving Master Joshua, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife, right? And <laughs> yeah, right. So <clears throat> we are about four years strong and I tried to circumvent morals with ethics, right? And you can't do that. Morals are the foundation of humanity's existence, right? That is the law of the universe. <laughs> ethics are man-made, right? These are the laws and the governing that we've decided that we can create to manage the going-ons through ego, right? So in our relationship, I didn't need the husband's permission. I needed her permission. Right. And it was it was a buildup of the relationship. It wasn't something that happened overnight, but I watched it unfold. And the truth of the matter is. Ethically, I only need her permission, but morally, I need to make sure everything is in sync. If not, it's built on a broken foundation. Right. And I've had to. We had to revisit the foundation so that we can put all the stars back in alignment so that we were working on this side of God, <laughs> right? Not on the other side of karma, but on this side of karma, because everything, all of our actions matter, right? Words are one thing, but our actions speak volumes and sure. writing my wrongs has been a part of this process, this evolution of mine that helps me get closer to my belief system my my religion karma and to be whole with myself and and to say i am the best version that i can be uh two things prevented me from that for many years and i didn't see it until i saw it one was affirmations i'm of the mindset if you're doing what you're supposed to do i don't need to give you a good job because you're doing what you're supposed to do go to school get good grades that's my job <laughs> why do yeah. i need a pat on the back right that's how i was that's i'm the one percent Reality doesn't work that way, right? Affirmations, being seen and heard goes miles in connection and in, in trust and love building. It's like it's true. affirmations are necessary. I didn't realize that until I was 40. Now imagine the wake of destruction that I left sure. without affirming people. Now here's a better one, hurting people. Uh, I can take criticism I, I look at it and I don't sit with it. It doesn't sit on my radar. I'll absorb it. I'll eat it. And then I'll make the adjustments if there is any to make. More often than not, my ego says, no, fuck, uh, forget you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I wouldn't look at it, right? It wouldn't weigh on me until one of my partners said that my criticism, while I don't criticize you, if you do something that's not smart, I'll say, wow, that was dumb. As opposed to saying, wow, you're dumb, right? Because that's not truth, right? Putting the person down isn't. The action was what it was. So I've always been careful about my words and language around that. But what I realize is it's not the words that hurt. It's the person that's saying it. Wow. Right? I didn't see that. It was right here my whole time. And it's like you can be criticized by someone you don't know and then whatever. But when it comes from someone close to you, that's that's what matters right and it didn't click 
But when I had that eye-opening moment, I saw my path of destruction for all the people, years, for 43 years now, of people that I didn't affirm and people that I made feel less than because I've used sharp words without the intention of causing harm, but to highlight a negative action. But yeah. you can't do that, right? So I'm trying to dig myself out from that at the same time, right? So it's like there isn't, we're always learning, right? There isn't absolution. Uh, heaven and hell, like uh, I was speaking with the, the, <clears throat> the priest friend of mine about heaven and hell, right? I had a moment around heaven on earth. Imagine us a life where you don't have to hide anything. Everything you're doing in action falls within your positive belief system, right? You're able to live a life of integrity and truth. Why would you want to leave this planet sooner, right? We're in like a rush to go. It's true. How do we know on the other side it's not harder, right? For example, you have a homeless mother and a child and the child's in a coma and to come back to unconditional love means coming out of the coma back to his mom. But what are the circumstances? They're homeless. They're going to be hungry. Like unconditional love doesn't mean peace. It just means support. Oof. Right? So what are we thinking comes next? Right? We have our beliefs of what comes next. But why don't we focus on what's happening here instead of later? Why don't we focus on being the best version that's being watched by our belief system? Right? We don't have, you can't hide anything. You can't hide your thoughts. Right? You can't hide your feelings. We're all connected. Yeah. You can feel it. I think a big chunk of us intimately know when we're doing something wrong and doing something right. I think that I think there's a difference between nature and nurture, and I think they both exist. Right? We are children of God, right? We are all put here to experience something we can't experience in the spiritual realm or the afterlife or however you, you accept it to be, right? So what are we doing with our time? Wow. You know, <clears throat> I like that you said this, and this is why I like having these conversations because our beliefs are different as far as you know, like, and that's okay. Like I've never, that's never been an issue for me ever. Um, but where I, why I love these conversations that I find myself finding more in common with people that believe differently than me, than the people that do. Because what you're, you're, everything that you're saying is so practical and it matters. Like we have I mean, I, I, I see it all day on social media that people are just like, oh, Jesus, take me. I re I'm ready for Jesus to return. I'm ready. I'm sick of this world. I'm done with this world. And I'm and in, in my train of thought is, well, when God comes, then he does. And, and that's awesome because I'm ready for it. But I love my life now. I love what I get to do every day now. And I... I love my life. I love the opportunity that even though I can't change the past, I can take those bad things. It's like every day is a new opportunity 
to add more on this on the good side than my old toxic evil self. And and also, if we're sitting around waiting for Jesus to return or God to come back or or the rapture to happen or whatever the belief system is, where we're just waiting for the end of the world and to be swooped up in the sky, that means we're not taking committed action today. Action. And, yep. And, and that is a problem that humans have, regardless of faith, regardless of religion. This is a problem. Like we're sitting around waiting for someone else to do it. And dadgummit, what if we were created to be the superhero of this movie? What yeah. if the power was inside of us? And I'll never, ever, ever, ever say that I am God. But I promise you, God has given us way more power than we utilize. So the question is, what's suppressing it? Guilt, shame, anger, resentment, jealousy, lying, deceiving, hurting people. That's what's keeping us from being that. And of course, you get into the foods we eat and <laughs> the things we consume, which also doesn't help. But that's yeah. a big part of it. So I want to ask yeah. you something, because one of the things that we talked about um, before we started was that you have a lot of people of faith coming to see you. And obviously, I don't want you, you know, reading their mail and telling their business. But can you get to maybe a core? Is there a, a common denominator with all of the believers that come to you of why they're there? I think it's to experience connection. Uh, unfiltered uh, connection without judgment. To to not feel wrong, right? To, to see if, if they're like the only one, it's almost like going to confession right? <laughs> with a ball gag in your mouth, with a ball gag, right? <laughs> chaps. except on the other side, you're going to get a spanking for being a good boy. Right. It's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I hope that wasn't think, inappropriate. <laughs> no, just... no, no, no. It's it uh it comes back to wanting to be okay, right? If they're not getting the affirmations from their communities, if they're feeling wrong, why don't I go see an expert? I'm an expert. Like I I work with therapists, I work like with their clients, like mental health professionals helping their clients work through trauma. I have reach that most people don't i can be myself with you i can give you my examples of this of similar experiences of grief and loss and fear and shame that a lot of others can't because they have to keep that power differential <clears throat> right but if imagine if the priest said well i got touched too imagine how empowering that would be for the for the person coming to say, oh my God, I, I, I'm not the only one, right? So it's that connection. It's almost like a, a brotherhood or familial connection to say, they've suffered as I've suffered. Wow. How I could see SNM or BDSM playing a role in retraining triggers of, of, of abuse. Yes, reframe one it. Of the ways, 
I've I've had to um, I I develop disassociative identity disorder and and mind you I've healed dramatically to the point that it doesn't affect me near like it used to. In fact, it really doesn't seem to affect me that much at all anymore. But it's 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 there. But one of the ways that I healed the altars that I had from the trauma as a kid and 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 really even as an adult too, self-inflicted trauma from others. Um, I consciously went back and I took each altar on a different healing journey and I, I would prepare myself mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever it took to go back to the old triggers so I wouldn't have them anymore. And that became very, very necessary for me because by doing that, it's allowed me to go back to some of the places that I came from to be the man of God that I am today, to be in situations that won't tempt me like before, like, you know, living in LA, I had a lot of different opportunities to work private security for celebrities and high profile people and just some random silly parties and other things. But by going to those parties, I was around drugs and sex and guns and all kinds and violence. I saw a lot of really crazy things, but I was able to remain in integrity and remain true to God because I went back and I read, I, I went to situations and 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 retrained them. The things that didn't yeah. get me excited and titillated anymore, where I would go tie one off and disappear for four days straight. I was able to do that. I can see this being a useful tool for abusers, like I was, people that have been abused, like I was, whether it's sexual or physical. What other kind of triggers? Would BDSM help people retrain? Well, all types. I mean, <clears throat> ultimately, what's happening is like a trigger, as I see it, is a response, a physical, emotional, psychological response to regain control of a situation you lost control of previously. Right? That you had no control. So the trigger is your response to getting control of that scenario, no matter what that looks like. <clears throat> uh, Sometimes more often it works because they maintain that control. But sometimes that doesn't work either. Uh, so when it comes to reframing trauma, what you have to look at is uh, the circumstance and the outcome. Uh, and you have to talk this, talking it through to laying out uh, the process of the trauma is a big deal, right? So there was a, <clears throat> someone I was working with, a gentleman who uh, had a fetish for cutting women's hairs, hair, right? And we had to dig into what, why, like, what is that? And ultimately what he wanted was to experience the same thing, except the opposite, where he's given a forced haircut from a woman. What it boiled down to was as a kid, he had siblings and they were all sisters and he's a child of the 60s. So he wanted to have long hair and the parents weren't having that. The parents were from the World War II era. And so the dad and the mom would shave his head because boys don't have long hair, right? So he grew resentment towards women because his sisters had all long hair. So for years, for decades, he, uh, he fantasized about cutting women's hairs out of spite, out of negative experience. He found us a spouse who let him do it for X amount of time. And then they grew weary of it. <clears throat> so then he reached out to me. And what he wanted me to do was set up an experience so that he could have his hair cut by a woman 
through this process. And I had to stop him. I said, do you realize what you're doing? I said, all you're doing is satiating the fetish and the problem. I says, what you need to do is empower yourself through this. I need you to reframe what's going to happen. I go, now imagine if, because the haircuts were going to be throughout this, the seatings, right? The first time they pretend, but there's no haircut. The second time, so he was throttling the fear of having his haircut. So I said, well, what if we did this? What if you sat down in the chair and I just shaved your head right away? Just one quick snap. It's going to shock you. And I'm pretty sure you're going to say, no, wait, stop. And then I have to stop. And I don't get to finish the experience, the tra traumatic experience I'd be giving it to you because now you have the power to stop it. I go, that's power. That's reframing trauma. Not teasing your, your haircut. That's feeding a fetish. Right? And oh, my God. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You're just, so, I, it just, I, it, it, that just <clears throat> light bulb. Okay, keep going, yeah. please. Right. So it's like reframing the trauma is, is very important. Um, using BDSM to reframe trauma, I don't recommend it without engaging with someone who is highly skilled and psychologically understands what the process is and understands the physical and emotional limitations of you and or the scenario. Right, because things can go bad and things can go bad fast. Right, and you don't want to make it worse; you want to make it better. And the great thing about this lifestyle and BDSM, when approached responsibly, is you approach it on an equal playing field. No one's above anyone else. It's just you and me at first, and then after our conversations and connection, we determine how we feel internally about the power exchange, and then we talk about that, and and we we mold it into what we want it to be because. We have the permissions to create the relationships we want, however we want. No one's ever told us that. So it's like, well, what are we doing with relationship building? Like, I learned about sex through HBO and Robin Bird, right? It's like, no one sat down with me and explained to me anatomy. No one sat down and explained to me the parts of my body that are meant to be sacred, right? And why, right? So I was giving it away. And BDSM showed me my power and my voice in being able to connect with people and build trust. That's that last two sentences is so powerful. And, and it reminds me really quick, this, this, it reminds me of something. So when I, I, I was a horrible father and I was a deadbeat and a bad husband and all those things, but when I turned my life around and I healed and I went through my journeys, I, I was blessed to get into to to receive the woman of my dreams that came with two kids that I swear to you were made for me. Like they, their personalities are just like my two dominant personalities. And it, and it it is it is such a godsend to have them in my life. But one of the things that I didn't understand, because I grew up hearing Go give your uncle a hug. Go give your aunt a kiss. Go do this. Go do that. And I, when I first was introduced into their lives, like I took offense if they didn't want to hug me or, uh, or, or, you know, anything like that, it would be similar where I would want to go, Hey, go give him a hug or go, you know, whatever. My wife was amazing at saying that's their bodies. Like let them choose if they want to hug, then they'll hug, but you can't force anything like that on them. And the way that she told it to me, it just gave me all of these flashbacks about having to hug someone I didn't want to hug and 
I was creeped out by him or, you know, I mean, a lot of situations like that. But it, what you just said really emphasizes that point of our boundaries of our own body and our the sacredness of what, how we should treat our bodies, this temple that we've been given, been, have been blessed with to go do all the things that we were born to do. But we're taught pretty young to drop our boundaries for people and for people we don't want to. And I totally see how that carries over as adults where we just drop our guard and we let people run over us or we give up our bodies to anyone because, well, we feel that that's appropriate. And I think women do that more than men. But in my case, because I slept with men and, you know, everything else that walked, I... I was constantly pulling down my boundaries. And then yeah. and if I and if I did, if I was nervous about dropping my boundaries for somebody or or you know whatever, I'm going to go do a drug to disassociate completely completely where I can just experience the pleasure and forget that I'm being violated by people I don't know. Like that's yeah. that's how dangerous that is and when she taught me that it changed my whole perspective on my body, my choice. And not to steal a line from, you know, the other <laughs> things that are going on, but really it did. It's true. Gosh, it's true. Man. 100%. I mean, ultimately, I think body autonomy is, is hugely important to have a life of security and safety, right? Uh, as you said, the whole slogan, my body, my choice, and everything that's going on. Um, ultimately, I agree. Uh, and it's funny, right? Because like abortion, my body, my choice. That's such a hard thing, right? And I stand in allowing a person to make their choices. I also believe there's an energetic price to pay yes, there is. for those choices, right? we aren't able to govern anyone's choice. They have to answer to God whenever yeah. that time comes, right? I, like yourself, I've done a lot of shit and I've been a horrible parent for the first, for a long time. And I've had to change that direction, right? So it's like, I believe, I have my beliefs, but they're my own, Yeah. right? And allowing folks to have their own autonomies there's no price to that, right? To, to be able to say you reap what you sow, period, <laughs> right? That's a good and a bad, right? Have the day you deserve, <laughs> right? To be of your own control, to be, it's, it's your contention with, it's your relationship with God. There's nothing else that is larger than that, right? Temporarily, yes, oh my God, my hair, this, that, sneakers and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> It's all temporary. The relationship you have with your beliefs and how you coexist, that's what matters. And that's what's always going to matter. Gosh, that is powerful. Um, so to recap, BDSM is not sex. And that is something that I don't know what the statistics are, but I can tell you that when I hear people speak of S&M, BDSM, and other fetishes that are similar or spawn off from that people associate it with sex and perversion and other things 
I want you to address that, even though you already have a little bit, will you speak to that directly about people calling it a perversion, people calling it sexual debauchery, for, you know, fornication, whatever all the words are. Can you speak to that directly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's all about relation, their relationship with sexuality. Uh, if Generally, I meet those people in person, so I don't get to speak to them through the camera. Um, in those circumstances, what I want a person to take, ask themselves, ask themselves is, who am I to judge? Right? And I also want you to think about the thoughts that you have in your mind that you don't share with anyone. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of shame I want you to ask yourself, imagine if you were to let that go, what would that feel like? Right? To not have a concern about what other people think about you, that freedom that you can create. That's what people are seeking is to find a space where they can be safe and enjoy their body and enjoy being however they define that, whatever that looks like. But the freedom of saying, this is who I am and I'm okay. Right. The perversion. Some people are offended by tattoos. Some people aren't it's true. Right. It's like that's circumstantial. So you have to sit with yourself and ask, uh, what do. Who am I? To, who am I to judge? Right. If you have an opportunity to speak with someone who is in the lifestyle and ask them, ask them questions, talk about it. Right. Because avoiding the conversation, you're just going to shorten yourself from information and experience, mm -hmm. right? It's like sexuality isn't a negative thing. Sexual abuse is, right? To engage in something consensually is not the same as having something thrown onto you or expected of you. I guess we have to redefine what our relationships are with our own sexual identities to, to ask ourselves, why are we judging others? But that's, that is the thing that I think across every belief system is a, a point of contention is our identity, is not knowing who we are. And I got to I gotta say, I think this is probably a selfish com comment, but, you know, the closer I've gotten to God, the closer, the more I've known my identity. But also what's contributed to that in a powerful way that has added more depth and, and layers to that is the conversations like this that I get to have because, and I, and I have a lot of respect for you, by the way, for you knew what I was about when you wanted to come on. I have preachers that won't come on because I am open and honest about my struggles and, and that and the subject matter that I cover typically is pretty controversial. So I don't get a lot of pastors that want to come on here, but I will, for some reason, I'll get people with other belief systems. And I and I I love I believe that that's the way God arranged this, and of course my you know whole shock jock thing it, it just kind of naturally fit. But the thing that is, is is that sticks out to me is that across the board, no matter what the religion is, no matter what the belief system is, there's a struggle with our our true identity, and there's a 
there's a, a there's a struggle around our sexuality because something happened as a child, something we've heard at church, something that we've read in the Bible, or or we've been raped, we've been abused, someone violated us. It it it, it doesn't take much to knock us off course. And these conversations like this, they do hold up a mirror, and they I believe that they help us figure things out because we'll hear something that goes. Well, I didn't hear that in church, but this makes a lot of sense. And and like my brain is connecting a lot of stuff you're saying to the Bible, too, which is kind of wild, especially with what we're talking about. But a lot of that's there. These conversations are important because if we don't know our identity, we'll never be what we were created to be. We're going to float around. We're going to chase every little thing that sounds good. And we'll never, ever have firm stance or a firm foundation to be us. So I, I like this and I in like it, it and the thing that is is appealing and I, I just can't I can't picture myself getting into this scene by any means. But at the same time, there seems to be some psychological benefits that make sense that I, I mean it's something I have to pray about. But it seems like there's just so much healing that can come out of this, even though I don't even fully understand it, which is probably really strange for an evangelist to say. But then again, you work with preachers, you work with priests, so you hear this stuff all the time. It's so interesting. God. What, what, I would, what I would say, right, forget about living the lifestyle. <clears throat> Aim for a transparent and open and honest relationship. Aim for that. Because when, once you have that framework, you're given permission in the space to share. Because you know the person's not going to bat an eye on you. Or if you're on this side of it, find supportive ways to the partner to say, listen, I don't care whatever you say. I love you. I'm here to support you. I want to help you achieve these experiences. Right? It's about holding the space to share identity and desire. Right? Tell me about yourself. What would you like to try? What have you always been afraid to talk about, to say? Tell me something you've never told anyone about your body, right? And don't make it about what can I get from you or what do I want from you? Make it about this is who I am and this is these are my thoughts. Right now, this is the test though, right? Because if you start being authentic to people who have already been in your life and they start rejecting you, then what do you do, mm, right? Now, that's hurt. the hard part and this is where the growth and the courage comes in, right? It's the difference between what's doing what's right for you and doing what's right. And there's a big difference there. And it's not about doing what's right for you. It's about doing the right thing, period. Not doing what's right for you is hard because those are short-sighted goals as opposed to the long universal law, right? Of, well, they took the shortcut It'll come back on the back end. Yes, right? it will. Those are hard. Those are hard things to differentiate, especially under the stress of now. You know, it's so funny that you're saying this. I, my life turned around. Of course, I was in jail when I gave my life to Christ, but it took a couple of years for me to accept that God loved me. I think I shared that in the opening, but even with that, I still had a bad relapse about a year later for a lot of different reasons. 
But in the middle of this month-long meth binge, it was like four day, three-day benders, four-day benders. And here it is. I'm on my four-day bender. The fourth day, I just drank my own urine to keep the high going. I'm on a sex app. I'm looking for more drugs so I can keep it going. No, drinking my own urine did not taste that good, regardless of how high it got me. And I'm on my phone. I think it was like Grinder or something like that. And I'm looking. And all of a sudden, I swear to you, man, it was like God dropped down to the corner of my eye. And he said, I'm not done with you yet. I you're going to put a spotlight on your shadow world. You're going to show people the supernatural power of truth. You don't get the luxury of secrets. You're going to tell it all. And when that happened, it was like three years ago when this happened. I got to tell you. When I first started coming on here and talking about all my crap and all the stuff that's in our book, The Devil Inside Me, and started sharing this openly, it felt like I was being, you know, it felt like I had a dominatrix, you know, spanking me going, you tell the truth, whoosh, tell the truth, whoosh, tell the truth. <laughs> and every time, you know, because it hurt, it, it not only did it hurt, but it had, it hurt to be rejected for telling the truth. It hurt to be rejected for confessing my struggles and even doing, I have a solo broadcast called Spoken Word and, and it's some of, the things, some of the things I even share here. It's never easy to share, even though it's gotten easier to tell the truth and to talk about it, but also knowing that it makes other people very uncomfortable to sit and hear the truth. And it, and it also, in turn, the people that reject or turn their back on me that don't want to be associated with me or publicly support what we're doing, even though privately they'll blow me up. It's like, that feels like going through a session with the dominatrix, it just does. Like being honest in this world, in a world full of deception and lies and propaganda and everything else, telling the truth definitely feels like you've been through a session. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, it's what painful. you're saying about the truth and the people coming there to have a safe place to tell the truth that is the exact reason i saw hookers in the first place and massage girls in the first place because i felt comfortable and i felt that it was a safe place to be able to tell the truth because i don't think even though we do lie even though we do mislead even though we hide things i think our nature wants to tell the truth in fact i think our secrets poison our soul so the fact that you're helping bring this out of people that may be religious, that may be men and women of God, if they don't feel safe in the church to do it, where else, where the hell else are they going to do it? Like, going to see Master Joshua for a session seems way more, and, and it burn me at the stake if you choose to, uh, Christians, but <laughs> going to see Master Joshua seems a lot safer than going to see a hooker. It feels a lot safer than going back to the drug house or going to the bathhouse, it seems a lot safer than anywhere else. And I know the church is the church is supposed to be the safe place for people that are struggling with these things, but if you don't make them feel safe, they're never going to tell you the truth. And that's the problem we have. And that's why I think, this again, Christians are probably going to hang me for this one, but I think God's using you too. I think God is using you because... I think going through one of your sessions would help people be able to come face to face with things that they need to come face to face with. And that's the truth. Cause we, I'm going to blow I, your mind a little bit. God does not bless lies. God will bless truth. And I don't know, 
what you're doing to help people find that place doesn't even seem all that harmful, even though, of course, I've got the images of all the crazy movies and all those things that go on. But this doesn't seem like that. This seems like a genuine therapy session. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, right? Because I'm going to blow your mind with this. Uh, one of it. my partners is getting a master's in divinity, right? With the idea of finding a way to create a religion around BDSM. And the reason why I say that, right, is because it's our beliefs. It's our practices of connection. Right? In order for me to connect with you, to want to be involved and to create a relationship, an intimate, vulnerable relationship with me, there's guidelines you have to walk, live by, right? And this what some people would call the leather lifestyle, or the BDSM lifestyle around integrity and transparency, right? Through consistency, no lying, be honest. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be a certain gender or express yourself a certain way. But you have to be a, a good person. Now, that will allow me to connect with you intimately and want to be with you and want to marry you and, and want to create family and, and, and build a foundation because we've started off on a foundation of love and integrity and truth, right? Integrity doesn't mean not lying. Integrity means the whole truth, right? Even omission isn't integrity, right? You're so right. there's strict guidelines around folks who I invite into my life, right? Now, these practices of intimacy and connection that we have, no matter what it looks like, from where majority of us sit, right? There's all, there are bad actors out there who violate consent and are abusers and stuff, but they're everywhere. They come in all shapes and sizes, in all colors, in all walks of life. They're not just in one particular subsect like BDSM, but they're everywhere. You always have your 10%. But we should also be protected in the way we live and the way we love. right? Instead of wedding rings, we wear collars right, to show commitment and affection. right? And some people look at it sideways, but it's no less important to us that we've invested and made ourselves vulnerable to the people we're with. And yet we can get fired, we can get arrested, we can get kicked, evicted, right? We get children taken away that have nothing to do with anything BDSM related other than the way we treat each other. Oh, right? And it has, makes us no different than a Muslim group living in a Christian community, Christian living in, in the Muslim country, right? It's like, it's the same thing. It's all this ritual and practice. That's all it is, right? So legitimizing this so we have civil rights protections to love the way we want to love. Because there's no... How is there a wrong way to love? Obsession, maybe. Yeah. Right? But how is, there, how is there a wrong way to love? I don't believe in hell. I believe that we can create hell by being without action. I believe we can stay stagnant if we're not making the choices to better ourselves, right? We're our worst enemies. No one out there is doing anything to us except our inability to be actionable. What, I wrote a question down, what do we need to change next, right? If you have these roadblocks, people ask, well, Joshua, how do you do it? Look at your next problem. Don't look at problem down the road. Look at the next one and say, how can I address this with integrity? And you attack each one, one at a time. Don't stack them up. 
Just do what's right in front of you right here, right now. Because sometimes that shit feels daunting, right? You could be at the bottom of the barrel and there's so many things to correct. You'll get there, right? Start right here, right now. And that that's, that's what this is all about, right? It's like being actionable, being a person of your word. I have a question. I have a question. This is, this is how this came. I was walking out the train station one time and this guy goes, Jesus died for your sins. Now, I personally don't know Jesus, right? I didn't, 2,000 years ago, right? But what came to mind was, well, what if Jesus didn't die for my sins? What if he died for the sins of those who didn't, who were inactionable when the time was necessary, right? When they allowed him to get crucified. Why didn't people take action then and say, no, he didn't do anything wrong? Right. So I don't think Jesus died for our actions. I think that phrase is being used in today's age to excuse ourselves from bad actors, from bad action. But I think Jesus died for their sins, for their sins of inaction. And I think it's our responsibility to be actionable in the face of wrong. And I think unless we can do that, unless we can change our action from inaction to action in the face of things that are wrong, then maybe Jesus will still have died for our sins, or at least the inaction of sins. Right, but that's that's a heavy cross to bear for sure. People who don't <laughs> who have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, one of the things that um, and look, you know, I the one thing I can never dismiss is that when I was in jail and I was looking at five years, and after I came off of the blow and, you know, the alcohol and everything else and sobered up enough. And I had my process and the story's out there. It's in the book. It, but when I said, cause I got to this place of like, I've wasted everything, every potential I've done all of this evil. And, and, and I, when I said, and I, again, the process, and I, I don't want to tell the whole story right now because it'll take too much time. But when I said, my life is no longer my own, take my life, it's yours. And I, and I, I surrender and I, you know, I went through the process of going, Jesus, take my life, it's yours. My experience with the Holy Spirit that I know to be the Holy Spirit, I don't know any other feeling or way of being, or like, I don't know what else to call it because it's always been the Holy Spirit to me because it's what dramatically changed my life. So that's where you know, there's a difference with us in that belief. However, I want to say this. I'm reading Genesis a lot two weeks ago. And, and all of a sudden, off the page, it just jumps up. And, and is that the Garden of Eden is our brain. And the forbidden fruit is our pineal gland. And, and so when I, and, and there's more to this. But when that happened, I went back and I was started reading the Bible from that point of view and that mindset and it dramatically changed everything for me the way my relationship with the lord but also not so much that god is just on the exterior and in everything but he's also in me too and he's in you and he's in you know everyone else that's in here and when i started to really fully appreciate that i found that my relationship with god got even closer but also my sense of personal responsibility became more 
heightened or I became more aware of it and the need to treat myself as a temple, to do the right thing, to not try to hide from God and, and so on. So the reason I'm bringing this up is to kind of really expand upon the points that I've made, the few other points that I've made about this is that even though our fundamental beliefs are different, boy, there's quite the bridge there too. Like there's so many similarities and commonalities. Like that's why we shouldn't judge. Because if the very thing, the simple reason, the best explanation ever is if, or not the best explanation ever, but a, I think is a good one is if the Bible really is the Genesis talking about our brain as the Garden of Eden, what else does that change about the Bible for people? How does it change the mindset? How does it change our faith? Well, you know, what it does is to me is shows what you're saying is very, very valid, very valid and shouldn't be dismissed because it's very, very similar to what a walk with Jesus is. When people say they're following Jesus, what you're speaking about is very, very similar to that process. And it's why you know like these similarities. Yeah. Do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Of course I do. Some people don't, you know, depending on a person's perspective, there's some things he's recently said that have had him off kilter for me a little bit. But all in all, I think he's a brilliant man. Yeah. Uh, and he's interpreted, I've, I've stayed away from the Bible for a long time until I started listening to his interpretation of the stories and the meanings behind them. So like Noah's Ark, right? Noah's Ark isn't a literal boat that they put all the everything on. You, you can't do that. What it is, is... To live a life of integrity, to always do what's right, and to live in harmony with everything around you, right? That's If you find the morals of the story, a lot of people take them verbatim that this is what happened and this is why and this is how and yada yada. But there's a, there's a story behind a moral to the story that written language doesn't, you can't comprehend it. You have to listen to what's happening. And that's what, back then, how many folks were illiterate and couldn't write, right? So a lot. They had the stories to pass forward, right? And you can't, like the Ten Commandments, they're, they're like a guide to living a decent life, right? It's simple. Or like the, the Georgia uh, the Georgia stones that they just blew up. Dude, my <laughs> mind was blown. They were talking about devil worship and all this. It's like, listen, it's just a roadmap to survive after we kill each other, right? The Georgia Guidestones, that's what they're called. And like you read yeah. them, there was a gentleman I was talking to the other day and he's like, oh, those dev Satan worshipers wrote it. I says, have you ever read, uh, read it? And he goes, no. I said, let me read it to you. And as I'm reading them to him, he goes, well, that sounds right. That sounds good. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's like, dude, there was nothing wrong with it. It was just a, a guide on survival to the best, to the, the most optimal, optimal solution we could find. Right. It's like just their guides, their guides on living a good life. That so and it's it's interesting. Gosh, we had this conversation yesterday, too. I had yesterday we were talking about this. That there's two like if you listen to what's coming out of the World Economic Forum, boy, we went from BDSM to the Georgia Guidestones all in one conversation. Wow. That's covering some topics. Um, you know, there's we were talking about this too, because you're right. When you read it, it's like, well, this 
I mean, this is not as evil as it's made to sound. And, you know, which is going to really upset some people because I'm, you know, every what the World Economic Forum has planned with the Fourth Industrial Revolution and the Great Reset and all of these other things, it sounds like a nightmare. Humans becoming useless eaters, as what Noah from the World Economic Forum says. And, and you hear about all this stuff. And at the same time, the question that we have to ask is, do we want to stop the advancement of human civilization and our capabilities or do we want it to stop? Because if you set technology in motion, technology is going to, there's a law, I forgot what it's called. But if you stop this, then progress stops with it. And therefore, do we evolve? I don't know. So there's I, a I lot guess, of, who's, go ahead. Who's, defi who's defining progress, right? It's like who that, defines that's success? That's a great question. Right, progress to me would be not having to live on, pay rent on a planet I was born on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, mean, I had no choice. Why do I got to pay rent, dude? I had no choice in this, right? Progress or taxes to or anything else, right? To eat cleanly, to 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 not be chasing the dollar, right? Because uh, what I think is the dollar has blinded us from beliefs, has blinded us from faith, right? It's like it's made us egocentric because look at what I have and you don't. Oh, it's like Instagram <laughs> is a, is a, is a it, well, I mean, for all the things to lust after, it's look at my Ferrari, look at my boobs, look at my butt, look at my arms, look at my my new trophy, look at my award, look at my that's all it is. We just put the highlights there and it is it's robbed us from humanity. Like I can totally see why people will just merge with machine because <laughs> practically it kind of makes sense. Except I don't want to alter my DNA because I want to remain who God created me to be. But I can totally see and understand why people will willingly merge with machine. I absolutely do. I don't want any part of it. But because I, again, like what you were saying, I believe with the advancements of technology, the further we've gotten away from our natural humanity and what we were created to be. The more convenience we have, the dumber we get. Oh, you know, dude. I, the, I mean, mind you, I love not having to go hunt for food because I don't like killing animals, but you know, like those times had to be different. We didn't have all the distractions. We had a different type of peace. And if we were scared, well, we were scared because we had a giant freaking lion chasing us and we should be scared. <laughs> we shouldn't be scared about a cough and a sniffle and a, a, a flu or whatever. I mean, or any of the other things that are that we are told to be afraid of. And that's what's happened is that we've allowed, we've forgotten who we are going back to identity and we've allowed other people to dictate who we are. And that's a problem. I agree. I agree. Man, I, I, I mean, I, I could just sit here and talk to you about all kinds <laughs> of stuff, but for the sake of time, Joshua, I... I, I didn't, I was so nervous. I hadn't, I, I usually have like, you know, some ideas of the directions it's going to go. And like, this has been, this conversation, I think it, it, it has been powerful. And, and it's, I don't think it's been offensive. 
if anything, I, I think it may have answered some questions. It stimulated some curiosity, but also hopefully reframe people's thinking. And yes, I do know some people are going to say this was sacrilegious and everything else and blasphemous, and that's okay too. But I, I'm glad that we had this conversation. Um, I welcome you back anytime. Like when you get your book done, do you want to come back and promote it and talk about it? And you're, you're always welcome, man. I really appreciate the time and the space you provided. Uh, I think this opportunity, these types of opportunities are important, right? To shine a light into areas that people are afraid to look to one show that is accessible, that it's not what people think and that it's okay to have doubt, right? As long as you have action behind uh, wanting to change life, there's still opportunity, there's still possibility, right? So I really appreciate the time and the safety that you provided in this conversation and in this space. And I look forward to connecting again. Joshua, please. Yeah, for sure. Please tell everybody where they can find you, whether it's on social media, your websites, plug anything you want to plug. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me under a few websites, uh, masterjoshua.com. That's uh, to work with me directly. I also have an organization called the kink collective.net. Uh, I'm sorry. Kink collective.net is K I N K collective.net. And there I talk about the educational programs that I, I facilitate. Uh, these are introspective spiritual retreats around identity. Uh, I also do counseling that you can contact us through there. And ssdce.org, that stands for uh, Sanctuary for Spiritual Development and Consciousness Expansion. That's also an introspective uh, journey work type of uh, organization where we help people heal from the past and build for the future. Um, you can find me on social media as Master Joshua NYC. And if any of the viewers had any questions or you found this offensive and you want to talk through it, reach out to me. I'd love to continue talking about it because I think our relationship with ourselves is the closest we can get to God. Well, I can't disagree with that, actually, because like I said before, the closer I got to God, the more I knew my identity. So there's yeah. been a lot of truth in what you're saying there. Joshua, God bless you, man. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. See you soon. Joshua Rodriguez, everybody. Masterjoshua.com. I didn't know what to expect. And it was, I, I thought it was awesome. Um, and again, we should have conversations with people that don't necessarily believe exactly like us, especially centered around religion um, or faith. And because I, I think, I hope I, po I will popularize this phrase. If our faith can't be tested, how great is our faith? So my faith didn't change. I didn't quit loving Jesus because I had this conversation. In fact, I think I love Jesus more because I get to have these conversations and I understand because I listen, you know, I've always been curious about this. I know some people in the lifestyle. They're not exactly public about it, but I know some people. And they're believers too, by the way, um, which is a whole other conversation. It's a husband and wife. But the, the, these conversations don't hurt people. But what they do is inform. And here's the thing with me. I, I'm a curious, curious guy about everything. I mean everything, which is probably why I've been in so much trouble. I wanted to know how to run credit card scams. I went on the dark web and learned. I wanted to learn how to traffic, you know, weapons and other things like that. I went on the dark web. I, I just found a way. 
I, I've, I, I, if, if you leave me, leave me to my own devices, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole with everything. And you know what? Some rabbit holes are not safe for me to go down. And that's why having these conversations is it brings it out of the shadows to, to talk. And mind you, I used to go live in the shadows and stay in the shadows because that's where I felt safe. I don't feel safe in the shadows anymore. But to bring this, which is normally kept in private, to the light, to be able to talk, does it kill curiosity? Does it heighten it? Well, for me, eh, I'm at ease about it now because I understand it. I also understand it's not what I thought it was. I mean, sure, I've seen the porn, not going to lie. I've seen the movies that, you know, kind of talk about it. I've seen the music videos that show it. But that's all sensationalized. I mean, yeah, I promise there's some extremes and there's some reality in that. But it's not always what people think. The same way with um, Hagatha <laughs> or Kitty Demure, who was on our show, who was a drag queen. And for all the people that had their assumptions about what he was about, it was the exact opposite. So this prejudging that happens, and this will this conversation will absolutely be prejudged. There's people will see it on the surface, oh, and they're gonna because I, I already know I can already see the emails. But I would suggest that this was one of the most important conversations I've ever had. So I appreciate you being a part of it. Thank you for being here. God bless you, and we'll see you again.